comfort of the forgiveness that is given to us in Christ. We've confessed our sins to Him, and He now assures us in Christ through the Gospel that we are forgiven and can stand before Him in peace and reconciled to Him. Amen. Let's now turn to the Word of God, which we... Uh, which this this morning is from Philippians chapter 2 in the first place. Philippians 2 verses 1 through Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your, your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So far from Philippians, let's also turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So far, the reading of God's word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 133, stanzas 1 and 2. The text to which we want to give our attention this morning is just verse 8 of 1 Peter 3. We'll split this section of verses 8 to 12 into two sermons, so verse 8 and then next week would be 9 through 12. So verse 8, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we're continuing then in this section of 1 Peter uh, that is sometimes known as the hard sayings. The hard sayings of Peter. Uh, They're called this uh, because they're hard to hear. They're not hard to understand. Uh, but they're hard to hear because they run against the grain of our, our own natural impulses and desires. Uh, the sayings to citizens towards their government, the sayings to slaves, the sayings to wives, the sayings to husbands, uh, and now the sayings to Christians in a congregation full of sinners uh, that, that we are called uh, to this brotherly love. These are hard sayings, and yet they remind us of what a gospel-shaped life looks like. So as we prepare to hear those instructions, we would probably do well to set them also in their context. The, the place where these hard sayings begin, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 11. So there the Apostle Peter opens this section with these words, He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Oh, well, you see, in that uh, introduction to these hard sayings, you see several things. You see our identity. We are sojourners and exiles, chosen in Christ, belonging to Christ, but therefore rejected by this world as Christ was. We see in that section also a calling, a calling to wage war against the passions of the flesh, which he says they wage war against our soul. Now, these, these passions of the flesh, they're not just bodily desires. We shouldn't think of the flesh in that sense. Uh, when you actually read uh, Paul or Peter describing the passions of the flesh, uh, they, they also include uh, things like idolatry, or, or they include emotional responses. Uh, things like anger, malice, slander, bitterness, uh, jealousy, covetousness. All of these are described as passions of the flesh, And what Peter says at the beginning here is, these things are waging war against your soul. They are seeking to destroy you, to undermine that identity that you have in Christ. So he calls us to abstain from them. And we see also in in those opening verses, we see uh, our witness to the world. He says, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that when they see your good deeds... uh, Though they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
And so we are conscious as Christians that we're living in a world that's watching us. Uh, And though they may speak against us, we want our witness uh, to bear the truth to show that they uh, do not speak truthfully about us. Uh, so that's, that's how Peter opens that section, and then he applies that, that, that identity, calling, and witness. He applies that to citizens, to slaves, then to wives, then to husbands, uh, and now to Christians within the church. So he says again in verse 8, uh, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I'll continue in verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now our focus is going to be in verse 8, but I want to first point out something about verses 8 and 9, which is simply that they they stand right next to each other. Well, that's obvious, you say, but it's striking because if you look carefully, verse 8 seems to be referring to the context of the church. Uh, when you're talking about brotherly love, unity of mind, uh, the, the context seems to be within the church. You don't have unity of mind with the world. Uh, brotherly love is something given for the church. But verse 9 appears to be referring more towards our attitude to the world. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. Uh, if you read that in a larger context, especially in the rest of First Peter, that seems to be referring to our, our witness towards the world. Uh, though we are slandered, though we are spoken evil of, we are to return good for evil. And yet, the fact that these two verses are set right next to each other here would suggest that, uh, sadly, there is some overlap between these two contexts. Now, you might hope that Verse 9 would never have to apply within the church, uh, but the reality is that it often does. Christians do hurt each other. Christians do insult and revile each other. Uh, Christians do speak harshly against each other. Uh, we all have those passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul, and they also wage war against one another. Uh, we have a tendency towards judgment, a tendency towards criticism. Uh, we, we judge quickly. Uh, it comes out in our words. It comes out in our uh, presumptions of motives. Uh, it comes out in the way that we might commiserate with, with like-minded people within the congregation or within the federation. Uh, we do this, uh, and we have this natural tendency. Uh, so the, the many passages you find in, in the New Testament that speak of bearing with one another, uh, forgiving one another would suggest uh, that not only do we have to bear with others, but probably also that we are people that others have to bear with at times. Uh, Sometimes others have to remind themselves concerning us not to repay uh, evil for evil, but rather to to bless. Uh, And so sadly, the the fact these two verses are together uh, would suggest verse 9 does also sometimes apply within the context of the church. Looking then specifically at verse 8, there's a list here of five qualities uh, to which we as a church are called. Uh, Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 
Now you'll notice uh, I drew one of those out and put it uh, into the title of the sermon and left the other four as, as points. Uh, and the reason is, uh, as I look at that list, it seems that brotherly love stands there in the center of that list for a reason. Uh, so if you're looking for an order to this list, usually these lists have some, some direction or order, uh, I would suggest tentatively that, that it moves in what you would call a chiastic direction, which is you go uh, into the center and then back, back out. Uh, so it goes in from the mind, unity of mind, in the direction of emotions, sympathy, uh, to the very center of what he's talking about, which is brotherly love, uh, and then back out again to tender-heartedness, another sort of emotional word, uh, and then finally humility of mind. So we're back at the mind. If you find that order helpful, use it. If you don't, that's, uh, that's fine. Uh, we'll be looking at each of these qualities one by one. But at the heart of uh, this list is this brotherly love. Now that word in, in the Greek, philadelphos, uh, is a deeply affectionate term. It refers to that, that special affection or fondness that one has for one's own brothers or one's own closest friends. Uh, in this case, it, it refers to our brothers in Christ. It's a sort of loyalty. It's another good translation for that word, loyalty, uh, that you would find, say, among fellow soldiers who've fought together on, on the battlefield, uh, who would take a bullet for one another any day. It's that, that deep loyalty and affection. Well, that's what we as a church are called to have for one another, a fierce loyalty and affection for one another, uh, notwithstanding our differences in social status, our differences in background, in uh, personality, sometimes even our differences in perspective and outlook. Uh, There is to be in the Christian church uh, a deep love and affection for these brothers uh, and sisters with whom God has placed you, uh, with whom you will be spending eternity, uh, and who here on this earth are your refuge and your companions in an otherwise hostile world. Uh, That's the calling that we are to uh, to, to develop now, you see this elsewhere in Scripture as well. It's not a new idea. Uh, as David says in Psalm 16, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Uh, or Psalm 133, which we sang a moment ago, uh, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil uh, running down on the beard of Aaron, down on the collar of his robes. Like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. Uh, it's like the psalmist is thinking of, of, of the most precious things, the most uh, exquisite metaphors, uh, to describe how precious is that brotherly love. Now, that kind of brotherly love, then, uh, which, uh, which is at the center of this list, is something that requires fighting for. It's something that must be fought for. Just as in a marriage, uh, the bond of love between husband and wife is not something that just happens and exists by itself without work. It takes working and fighting for. Well, so also in the church, the bonds of brotherly love are something that can be fragile and something that require fighting for if they are to remain intact. Uh, And that's where the rest of this list comes in. The reality is that that kind of loyalty and affection for your brothers and sisters is something that 
Uh, it takes work. It is not manufactured overnight. Uh, at least the, the true kind of brotherly love, the kind that, that has some steel in its backbone, that can endure uh, conflicts, uh, that, that really does make us willing to, to take a bullet for one another. Well, that kind of love then is supported on either side uh, by, by certain qualities uh, that take time and effort to develop. Uh, and here in this list, if we're looking again at this list, I see on the one side uh, qualities that are more communal, uh, unity of mind, sympathy. There's a communal quality to those, uh, to those words. Uh, and then on the other hand, also qualities that are uh, individual. Uh, a tender heart and a humble mind uh, are things that each of us as individuals must carry within us. Uh, so then beginning on the one side, we have, uh, on the communal level, we have a unity of mind. And he says, finally have unity of mind. Well, that, that, that is a point that is, uh, today, often entirely lost upon the modern church uh, in a culture that celebrates diversity. Uh, even in one of the commentaries that I read uh, on this text, it, it was saying, well, unity of mind doesn't necessarily mean agreeing on things. I understand the point uh, that they're saying there are, there are uh, you're not going to agree on every last issue, uh, but agreement, uh, unity of mind does mean agreeing. It means working towards that agreement. Uh, the, the Greek word homophronis means exactly that, one-mindedness uh, in agreement. Now, that unity of mind does mean that, that when we do disagree on things, that we hold on to the bigger things that we do still agree on. You don't cultivate unity of mind except by holding on to those things that you do agree on. Uh, and then when you stand on that ground, unity of mind means we will fight together, we will strive together for that perfect unity in all things concerning our faith. Uh, unity of hope, unity of conviction, uh, unity of love for Christ and love for Christ's people. These are good things to be one-minded about. Uh, it's a good thing then that we, that we are to be of one mind as a church, that we be in agreement. Uh, there are those who would paint such a church as an unhealthy church because people don't disagree with each other. Uh, it might be called a, an echo chamber, uh, but it's exactly the sort of thing that we are called to. It's the sign of a healthy church, not a sick church. You see it in Philippians 2 uh, that we read earlier. If there's any encouragement of Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit uh, or affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's like he says it four times over just to make sure that we, we heard it. It is a good thing for us to be of one mind or to strive for that one conviction. Uh, now that does mean uh, that, that when there are just disagreements, differences of opinion, differences of perspective, uh, that, that unity of mind means we, we will come together as brothers and sisters to work out our differences, uh, so that at the end of the day, that's our goal, that we can stand in full agreement. Uh, such a church, in reality, is exactly the opposite of, of an echo chamber. 
Because uh, it means members with differences of opinion, differences of perspective, uh, are not just holding on to their differences each separately, they are working them out together. It's where differences get to come into a brotherly conflict with each other to a certain uh, unity. Now, of course, that does mean along the way that, that as Christians, if we're fighting for unity of mind, we're also extending uh, charity and patience towards one another where we do disagree. It means restraining ourselves from that impulse to rashly condemn. It means a willingness to listen and to learn. It means an appropriate sense of perspective to understand the difference between uh, areas of great importance and areas of small importance. Uh, greater and lesser matters. Matters over which brothers can agree and still, or disagree and still be brothers, and matters over where, where, where that disagreement may be more serious, that are uh, outside of the Christian tradition. But the ultimate goal of, of that patience and charity and working together is to come together towards unity, towards agreement, uh, to be able to stand together on the Word of God and say, this is what the Word of God says, and to be able to be in agreement as we, as we do so. Uh, so that genuine brotherly love, then, that's at the center here, is supported on the one end uh, by a unity of mind. It's what makes us a church. Uh, that, that we have a shared conviction and gospel hope. Uh, that's what unites us, not what divides us. Uh, then uh, Paul, Peter then moves a, a step closer towards the middle uh, by, by speaking of sympathy. Now, sympathy, it's an, it's an emotional word. It's a word that has to do with your emotions. Uh, and it refers to, to an ability to feel uh, in response to the experiences of another person. Now, I know, and uh, maybe some of you are thinking this, uh, technically in English there is a distinction between what we call sympathy and empathy, uh, where sympathy refers to the ability to, to understand and care about the sufferings of others, where, whereas empathy uh, refers to uh, the ability to actually experience the, the suffering of, of others. Uh, but that distinction is not there in the original Greek. So if you're hearing that distinction, understand sympathy to refer to the whole uh, package there, the whole experience of understanding and feeling uh, the pain or the joy of, of others. It is, in essence, uh, entering into one another's world. Uh, scripture speaks elsewhere of weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. If we are to be a church where real brotherly love is practiced, uh, we must learn that kind of sympathy. Uh, and that kind of sympathy, really, it flows right out of the gospel message. It's, you see it in the very heart of Christ, who felt the pain of his people, uh, even while they were still his enemies, uh, and wept for them. And in fact, you see this, uh, it's one of the often repeated uh, uh, words of, of Christ, that he felt compassion. You see this over and over in the gospels, he felt compassion for the people. You think uh, of him weeping at the graveside of Lazarus uh, when, when he sees the grief of, of uh, Lazarus' sister Mary. Uh, compassion, uh, sympathy is something that's at the heart of Christ. It's at the heart of the gospel, and so it ought to be also at the heart of the church. Uh, what we are called here is to have uh, the heart of Christ towards one another. 
uh, having sympathy for one another as brothers and sisters. Uh, To understand what we are experiencing, what someone else may be experiencing, and also then to care, to to cultivate in ourselves an ability to to feel appropriately in response to the sufferings uh, as well as the joys of others. Now, just in case there are any men here who are already chafing at this, uh, this uh, language of emotions and, and feelings, uh, it should be emphasized this is not just a feminine trait. This is something he says, finally, all of you have this sympathy. Uh, godly sympathy is as much a masculine trait as it is a feminine trait. It's something the Lord Jesus embodied, uh, and he did so with strength and resolve uh, and courage. Uh, So then true brotherly love on the one side is sustained by a unity of mind, a a communal sympathy for one another. uh, And where those qualities exist, they produce that that brotherly love. Moving then towards the individual side, uh, back outwards from the heart, uh, Peter also teaches us to, to cultivate among one another a tender heart. The word that is used here uh, is perhaps the most emotional word in the Greek language. Uh, It's a wonderful word, uh, eusplachnos, uh, and what it it literally means is guts. Uh, You are to have guts for one another. Uh, In that time, uh, just like today, when you you feel an emotional response, sometimes you say you feel it in your gut. That's why we have the the expression, a gut feeling. Um, And that's that's what the word literally refers to, is that deep sense of of, uh, emotional response for uh, one another, a deep compassion for those uh, that suffer. It's that sort of uh, deep-seated compassion you might feel when you see a mother at, at a graveside of her child weeping, and you just feel that immediate, like a punch in the gut, uh, compassion for her. Uh, or, or if you go to a children's hospital and it just it hits you and there's a deep compassion. Well, that's what, what Peter is referring to. Uh, that's something we are to cultivate for one another. Now, now, that tenderness of heart is also a, a very much a gospel-driven emotion. It's precisely because we know that Christ first loved us, that Christ first had compassion on us, uh, despite our weaknesses, despite even our enmity towards Him, uh, and yet He felt compassion. Uh, it's knowing that that also then makes us sensitive and tender-hearted towards one another. Uh, even when we disagree, that there is a deep-seated compassion for each other. Uh, and I would also say this, as you practice that, that Christ-imitating compassion, uh, you will discover that, that you have depths of strength that you may not have known about before. Uh, See, so what often happens, at least I know for me, uh, you, you hold yourself back from, from caring. You hold yourself back from that kind of compassion uh, because you think, I don't know that I have the strength to bear those, those emotional burdens on my shoulders. I don't have the strength to, to care. Uh, but this, this compassion and tenderheartedness is not something Christ is calling you to bear on your own strength. It's something you're called to for which Christ also equips you. So do not be afraid to enter into the joys and the pains of your brothers and sisters. Do not be afraid 
to care. Christ will give you the strength to do that day by day as you lean upon Him. And perhaps as you do so, you learn what it means to lean upon His strength. There's hardly hardly anything that sets the hope of the gospel immediately before your eyes like the trials that God gives you, including those of your brothers and sisters that you, with the compassion of Christ, boldly step into. Uh, And so there, as we learn the joy of giving comfort to our brothers and sisters, uh, we we discover a sense of the joy that Christ experienced as He ministered to us. Our Lord Jesus taught us, didn't He, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, So when we're called to cultivate a tender heart uh, that's sensitive to the sufferings and and pains of others, Christ calls us to that, not not for our sorrow or for our suffering, but actually for our joy, that we experience the joy that Christ had, uh, like Hebrews says, who for the joy before Him endured the cross and despised the shame. Uh, It is more blessed uh, to serve than to be served. And then finally, Peter mentions a humble mind. A humble mind. Uh, True brotherly love is supported and even made possible by humility. Uh, Humility, uh, as Scripture speaks of humility, humility is simply having an accurate sense of yourself. An accurate and proportionate understanding of yourself, particularly in view of the glory of God. It simply means, as Paul says uh, elsewhere, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather thinking with sober judgment. Uh, In particular, uh, this means towards your brothers and sisters, it means recognizing uh, that they too are called to eternal life. They too are heirs of eternal life and are every bit as much significant as you. Uh, That your Father does not only love you, but He also loves them. Uh, It means recognizing it's not all about you. uh, That that you are are not that significant in the grand scheme of things. That's that's humility. Uh, Paul says it even more strongly in in Philippians 2, uh, where he says, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It doesn't mean they are. It means that's how you should strive to regard them, because that's how Christ also treated you. Uh, true brotherly love, uh, that, again, that affection and loyalty, it grows in the context of humility. Uh, and pride, on the, on the other hand, is the number one destroyer of brotherly love. And nothing erodes brotherly love or breaks the strength of brotherly love like pride. Uh, pride always says, I am right and, and others are wrong. Uh, pride always says, I am more significant, they are less significant. Uh, pride always says, I am the hero of the story and everyone else is either supporting cast or, or the, the villain. Uh, that's, that's pride. Well, Paul calls us to put an end or sorry, Peter calls us to put an end to pride. That there is no place in the gospel for pride, and brotherly love is destroyed with uh, by by pride. 
So then we see this, this big picture. Uh, we have hum- uh, brotherly love in the center. That's what we're called to. Uh, communally, that means cultivating uh, unity of mind, working to see things together, uh, sympathy, understanding for one another. And then each of us individually are called uh, to develop a gospel tenderheartedness and a deep humility of mind. And the ultimate goal is Christ uh, uses those, those means to produce in us a deep and strong, uh, resilient and abiding brotherly, brotherly love. And that's what we are called to. Amen.